Amen. Isn't God's love amazing? In news and saving people from every tribe, tongue, and nation, God is doing many things that we cannot see even at this moment around the world, in different countries, in different communities, proclaiming his goodness, grace, and glory, and his good news indeed. Well, as it's already been said, Merry Christmas Eve, Eve, or Merry Christmas Adam. In fact, uh, a couple of my kids enjoy saying that. They reminded me of that this morning. It's Merry Christmas, Adam. And so we are approaching the big day, two days away. It's around the corner, so I've heard. So we should probably buy Christmas gifts for our kids. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. But I do have a couple last-minute gifts to buy. Truth be told, I love buying gifts, whether it's a $5 gift or a more expensive gift. I love buying gifts. Maybe you do as well. Um, The reason why I do is I love to see people's face when they open the gift. I love to see their excitement. And giving gifts shows your love, hopefully, normally, um, for the other person, that you love them and you want to just share a little bit of joy with them. Well, as I had said earlier, this is the fourth Sunday of Advent, and we are going to look at the theme of love. We looked at hope, peace, joy, fittingly last Sunday in the Christmas cantata. Today, we look at the theme of love, and we're going to look at the lens, uh, look at Christ's coming through the lens of love in a um, peculiar passage today. We're going to look at Lamentations chapter 3. So turn to Lamentations 3. I had initially planned on preaching from Zechariah. Um, but decided that it would have turned into a sermon series. So I'm not going to preach from Zechariah right now. But I decided to go with Lamentations, and I've shared some of these verses in the past, mostly because of how meaningful Lamentations has been to me this past year. Lamentations is one of those books that you can just easily flip by when you're going through the Old Testament. You can easily overlook because it's not like Psalms or another book where it's full of hope and peace and goodness and grace, well, I should say it may not appear to be that way at first glance. But this past year, as I've read Lamentations a few times, it's been eye-opening for me as I see how important this book is in lamenting and rejoicing, even in the midst of mourning. How can we rejoice in the midst of mourning? We're going to find out a little bit about that this morning. So stand with me, if you will, as we honor the reading and preaching of God's holy word. Lamentations chapter 3, beginning in verse 22. Here's the word. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I will hope in him. The Lord is good to those who wait for him, to the soul who seeks him. It is good that one should wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. It is good for a man that he bear the yoke in his youth. Let him sit alone in silence when it is laid on him. Let him put his mouth in the dust. There may yet be hope. Let him give his cheek to the one who strikes and let him be filled with insults. For the Lord 
will not cast off forever. But though he cause grief, he will have compassion according to the abundance of his steadfast love. For he does not afflict from his heart or grieve the children of men. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Let us pray quickly. Gracious Father, we thank you. We praise you before you are good. Your plans are good. Your promises are kept and fulfilled through the person and work of your Son, Jesus Christ. So, Father, we as your people come longing to know more of who you are, hurting from various tragedies, different trials we may be going through. Lord, I pray that you remind us that you are near to the brokenhearted, that you comfort the afflicted, you strengthen the weak. So Lord, even as we gather now, remind us of your plans and your promises. Lord, even as the people of Israel felt forgotten, felt ignored, Lord, you reminded your people that you were near. So remind us even today that you are near to us. Strengthen us, show us Christ. Let us look to Christ in all things. Lord, we know that in Christ we have all that we need. So Lord, remind us that you are here amongst us. And Lord, I pray that you might sanctify your people and draw sinners unto salvation, I pray. It's in Jesus' name I pray, amen. Okay, Lamentations, chapter three. Now, I'm not gonna give a big overview of the book, but just quickly, Lamentations is five chapters, so it can be read in an afternoon. Um, it's very short, but in the, it's written in the midst of very difficult circumstances. You don't have to read very far into the chap, chapter one to see that the writer is speaking of great turmoil, great affliction. And the writer is giving eyewitness testimony of when Babylon basically destroyed Jerusalem in 586 B.C. So that's the background. That's chapters 1 and 2. But as chapter 3 begins, we see, again, much affliction. And this book was, was written to be prayed or to sung in the midst of worship services as the people called out. They asked for forgiveness. They realized their need for, give, for forgiveness. They realized their need for God's mercy. And so they would sing, they would pray, they would worship together through these words. The laments in this book express great grief and sorrow. Now we might not be in the similar situation as the writer here, but we too face grief and sorrow. In fact, Garrett Kell tweeted this out this past week. He said, Jesus was born in a day of political turmoil in which children were massacred, outcasts were oppressed, and hope seemed empty. Yet the light of heaven shone into the darkness. He is the same light we need, we need to descend into our darkness today. So this is why we pray, come Lord Jesus. So we too recognize mourning and sorrow, even yesterday um, hearing the tragedy of another tsunami and of untold lives that are lost, we see that we live in a fallen world. Tragedy, grief, 
sorrow is amidst us. So we, like the people of Israel, long for the Messiah's return. We pray, come, Lord Jesus. The prophets, they awaited Christ's birth. We await his second return. In both cases, we depend on God's grace. And you and I must remember, this is one of the key elements of chapter 3 here. I want you to know this. You and I must remember God is merciful and he is faithful. He is merciful and faithful. He has been faithful, faithful to Israel throughout history. He is faithful to you as well. So as we think about God's love on this Advent Sunday, we would do well to couple the truth of God's faithfulness and his mercy today. So the author begins in chapter 3 with much mourning. He talks about affliction. He talks about hardship. In fact, look at, at verse 18 right before our section. In verse 18, the author says, my endurance has perished. His His strength has been sapped, if you will. But he says, so has my hope from the Lord. My endurance has perished, so has my hope from the Lord. So he's at a moment of great weakness, great despair, great overwhelm, being greatly overwhelmed. But it's in the midst of this affliction, and just as this bitterness is about to get the best of him, He calls to mind the character of God. He calls to mind the character of God, and as a result, he finds hope. He finds hope in these verses, verses 22 through 33. We're going to look at 12 verses this morning. We're going to find great comfort, great mercy, and great love in these 12 verses. This past week, I was listening to different Christmas songs, and of course, a favorite, maybe a favorite of yours, is the 12 days of Christmas. So I thought about doing uh, 12 themes through these 12 verses in our lament today. So I'm going to go through these quickly. And uh, yes, for your benefit, I'm not going to sing them. But in verse 22, we, and then I'm just going to go through these quickly, we see 12 merciful men, 11 faithful followers, 10 life-giving laws, 9 sinners seeking, 8 worshipers waiting, seven saints suffering, six silent men searching, five hopeful believers, four humiliated hearers, three peace-filled promises, two lessons from the Lord, and a God who saves for all to see. So here in these 12 verses, there is much for us to contemplate, much for us to apply. So let's start with verse 22. We see God's character there. In 22, he says, the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. This sounds just like what we read earlier in Psalm 136. I encourage you to read that. We only read the first four verses. But again, we serve the God of all gods. We serve the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. We serve the God who was faithful yesterday, faithful today, and faithful tomorrow. And because of these truths, we know steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. We also see that God's mercy in verse 22, it says his mercies, what does it say in verse 22? Never come to an end. So with both, both his love and his mercy, what is the writer saying about both of these things? They don't end. We cannot come to the end of God's mercy. And it's not like my 
my parents said once upon a time, you're getting to the end of my patience. Maybe your parents have said that before. And so we're not getting to the end of God's mercy. We're not getting to the end of God's love because they never end. There, ne- there is no end to God's covenant mercy. So what is amazing about this is not just God's character on display, not just that we see God shining brightly, but he's shining brightly in the midst of Israel's, midst of Judah's rebellion. Not that they were seeking God. They were turning from God. They were rebelling from God, and there was no faithfulness. Remember, even when we are faithless, God is faithful. So here in Psalm 136 and throughout much of the Bible, we see that God's steadfast love endures forever. So we must give thanks to our God. He is good. His love is shown to you and is shown to me. We must praise and worship God. Why? Because his mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning, as Vivian likes to remind me. They are new every evening. They are new every afternoon. We see God's mercies every day. The beauty of this chapter, the beauty that the author sees, is instead of getting the Father's wrath and anger, we see favor from God. And as believers in Christ, where does that favor come from? Through Christ. Because of Christ, we are shown favor and we don't get the Father's wrath and anger. We are reminded repeatedly that God is willing to begin anew with those who repent and seek Him. Praise God for His grace and mercy. Then look with me in verse 23. Verse 23, it says, They are new every morning. This is, God, this is the mercy we spoke of. And then, great is your faithfulness. We could, we could uh, have testimony time where each of us stood up and spoke of God's faithfulness, that he's been faithful in the past. He's been faithful during a hardship. He's been faithful during tribulation. He's been faithful during job loss and many other things we could speak of. Great is your faithfulness, O God. And then we move to verse 24, and we hear these sweet words. My favorite verse of this section. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. My inner being says the Lord is my portion. And if the Lord is your portion, then what is the result? The second half of the verse If the Lord is your portion, if the Lord is your all, if the Lord is your great desire, then he will affect your desires. Because it says, therefore, I will hope in him. The Lord is my portion, therefore, I will hope in him. When we say the Lord is my portion, we are saying he is all we need. In Old Testament covenantal terms, the speaker is saying, the Lord is my inheritance. We're not looking for, you know, hitting the jackpot on the mega millions. God is the jackpot. He is our portion. He is our great reward. And as a result, he changes our desires. Our souls find peace. Our souls find rest in him. Earlier this week, or maybe it was last week, I was reading the story of John and Betty Stamm. 
I encourage you, I know uh, Stephen Herschel enjoys reading biographies. I encourage you to read Christian biographies, many biographies. But John and Betty Stamm were famous missionaries who knew where their hope and peace was found. In early December of 1934, they were beheaded by Chinese communists during that nation's civil war. But they knew where their hope was found. They knew that God was their great inheritance. And then, just a generation later, Chip Stam, who I knew, was a, a faculty me- member at Southern Seminary. And now even Skip Stam serves as a trustee. So generations going on proclaiming the goodness of the gospel. They didn't say our family members are lost, so therefore our hope is lost. No, their hope is in God. So that is why in the midst of affliction, in the midst of struggling, we can wait upon our God. That's what we read in verse 25. Look with me in verse 25. It says, the Lord is good. The Lord is good to those who wait for him, to the soul who seeks him. God rewards those who seek him. This is a theme throughout Scripture from Abraham um, in Genesis to uh, the Psalms to Hebrews and many other places. In fact, uh, look with me in Isaiah chapter 40, verse 31. Miss Chris Collier, this is her favorite verse. It says, They who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. So those who wait for the Lord are given strength. They are rewarded. God rewards those who seek him. When we wait upon the Lord, we are trusting in the Lord and his perfect plan. This is what we read in verse 26 of our passage today. It is good that one wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. There's not a more appropriate verse for Advent Sunday than maybe verse 26. It is good that one wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. Sometimes when I'm waiting, it's not a quiet encounter. <laughs> you know, I'm not waiting at ease and at rest I'm waiting pacing I'm waiting struggling I'm waiting moaning but here we see it's good to wait quietly well what does this signify it signifies trust signifies we are trusting our God we are trusting he will deliver just as the prophets the disciples and others waited for the coming of the Lord we wait today as well remember who waited for Jesus after he went to be circumcised, after the the purification, who who was there? Remember Simeon and Anna? We're going to talk about Anna's reaction to the Christ child during our Christmas Eve service tomorrow night. But listen to what Simeon said. This is what Simeon said. After waiting, waiting, waiting months, years, he says this, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace. According to your word, for my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people, Israel. Simeon recognized the promise 
is fulfilled through the promised one. Just a few verses earlier in Luke 2, Simeon talked about how he waited for the consolation of Israel. The Holy Spirit led Simeon and he leads you and I today as we wait for God's promises to be fulfilled. We wait trusting and knowing God has not forgotten us. In fact, that's what the writer says later in the chapter in verse 31. He says, the Lord will not cast off forever. In other words, you're not forgotten. You're not forsaken. I have not forgotten you. So the writer reminds us, he reminds the people, he reminds us that we're not abandoned. We're not forgotten. We're not forsaken. He did suffer and he did go through much affliction, but he calls to mind the covenant Lord, the covenant that the Lord God made with his people. The Lord will not cast off forever. The anger and wrath of God will not last forever. It's temporary and it's a means of judgment to call the people to repent and to return to him. In the previous chapter, in chapter 2, the writer speaks of how his stomach churns, how his eyes are flooded with tears. The weeping seems to have no end and there seems to be little hope in the heartache. But then in verse 29, we find hope. In verse 29, it says, Let him put his mouth in the dust. There may yet be hope. The speaker, who is so sad, now finds hope, hope through humility. We must not think of ourselves more highly than we ought. When verse 29 speaks of the man putting his mouth in the dust, it's showing us a posture of repentance and dependence upon God. We need more of that. I need more of that in my own life. We are sinners. We are lepers. We are thieves who seek to rob God of his glory. You and I must understand that we are not owed anything good apart from God. When we understand the love of God, we find our hope in God. When we understand the love of God, we find our hope in God. Hope is a good thing. Morgan Freeman in a famous movie says, Hope is a dangerous thing. It can drive a man insane. It can if you fix it on the wrong thing. But the hope we speak of here is hope found in God. Hear the word this morning. If you're in Christ, the Lord will not cast you off forever. God does not leave and he does not forsake his children. He will help you and he will comfort you. This is what we read in verse 32 and 33. God shows compassion and he shows love to his children because he is faithful to his word. Paul House says, God's first instinct is not to punish he does so only when his patience with sinners does not lead to their repentance. These last two verses remind us of God's covenant with Moses in Exodus 34. So as I close, let me remind you of that covenant with these words. The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, 
keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. This is the God we worship. Let us pray. Father, we thank you and we praise you that you have given us hope. We find peace. We find joy. And we find love in you. You are our greatest treasure. And Lord, where we have fixed our hope on something or on someone, Lord, I pray that you will smash those idols in our lives. Lord, fix our eyes upon you. Turn our affections towards you, O God. And Lord, we thank you that you are good. Your promises and your plans are good. And so we seek you. And it is good that we should wait quietly for you. For from you comes salvation. So Lord, we thank you and we praise you. Your name is beautiful and your purposes are far beyond our comprehension. So we thank you and we praise you together as your people. Father, I pray that you will teach us to follow Christ in all things. It's in Jesus' name I pray, amen.